Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Welcome back to season two, episode three of Serial Nightmare, a Halloween series I'm doing just for the month of October. Everything I release this month will either be Halloween related or more on the spooky side, but of course, always true crime related. It's almost that time again, Halloween night. And if you're a parent, this means sifting through your child's candy after an evening of trick-or-treating, you know, to make sure it's all safe and to pick out your favorites before handing it over. The thought of someone tampering with candy to hurt a child is unfathomable for most of us, but it happens. The most infamous case of child tampering comes at the hand of Ronald O'Brien, forever nicknamed the Candyman Killer. And that's exactly who we're talking about tonight. 
Before we jump in, tonight's episode is sponsored by one of my favorite indie true crime podcasts, Okie Investigations. This is not your typical true crime podcast, oh no. Once you're done listening to the host, Trevor Shelby, tell you about some of the craziest, unheard of true crime stories from across the U.S., you can hop on over to the blog for a deeper dive. Here you'll find supplemental research for each case and episode, including photos, a timeline of events, newspaper clippings, and court documents. If you like your true crime content to be fully researched and backed up with supplemental material to sift through, you are going to love Oki Investigations. Host Trevor Shelby offers a unique perspective on each case, and he has a wealth of true crime knowledge to accompany his bachelor's degree in criminal justice. You can find new episodes of Oki Investigations on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When you're done tuning in, head over to the blog at truecrime.blog for all of the research that goes into each episode. Stay tuned. Halfway through tonight's story, I'm going to fill you in on some of my favorite things about Oki Investigations and their true crime blog. All right, let's jump in. It's October 31st, 1974 in Pasadena, Texas. Halloween night, my favorite. The O'Brien family had big plans for the evening, consisting of having a nice dinner with their friends, the Bates, followed by taking the children out trick-or-treating together. Ronald O'Brien, father and head of household, had made plans earlier in the week for Halloween night with Jim Bates and their family. The O'Briens lived in the Deer Park townhouse community, but the Bates lived in a more upscale neighborhood in Pasadena. So they had decided to hit up the homes there. You know how it goes. Typically, the nicer the neighborhood, the better the candy they're handing out. While the two men, Ronald and Jim, took their children out trick-or-treating, the women would stay behind to hand out candy. The trick-or-treating crew included the O'Brien children, Timothy, who was eight years old, and Elizabeth, who was five, as well as the Bates children, Mark and Kimberly. They had been to a few different houses before arriving at the home at 4112 Donnerail Street, which was the Marvin house. The home looked dark inside the windows and the porch light was off, which typically means that no one is home. They aren't participating in handing out candy, or maybe they've just run out. We usually skip homes like all this together, but the children ran up to the house before either of the fathers could tell them to just skip it. Ronald O'Brien decided to follow the children up the dark porch, and they rang the doorbell. Not surprisingly, no one answered, and after 30 seconds or so, the kids ran off to try the next house. However, Ronald stayed behind as the children continued trick-or-treating with Jim. This would have been kind of unusual behavior, like, what are you going to do, keep knocking on the door and ringing the doorbell until someone decides to answer? Either way, a few moments later, Ronald caught up with Jim and the group of kids down the road as they continued trick-or-treating. Now, according to Jim, Ronald said to him, You've got rich neighbors. Look what they're giving out. And he had a handful of giant pixie sticks. In his hand were five 21-inch pixie sticks. So these ones were much bigger than your typical pixie stick. If you're unfamiliar with what pixie sticks are, well, first of all, I feel sorry for you, but they're these paper tubes filled with a sugary tart powder. They look similar to a drinking straw, and you'd rip off the top and pour the powder into your mouth. They're pretty much pure sugary madness for children, and they come in a variety of fruity flavors. Either way, it would have been a great score for the kids. 
Ronald offered to carry the giant pixie sticks until they finished the rest of the neighborhood, and then he would divide them up and give them out to the kids once back at the Bates house, which he did. He gave the pixie sticks to his two children and the two Bates children, as well as a fifth child, 11-year-old Whitney Park, who would come to the door trick-or-treating while he was dividing them up. Both the Bates and the O'Briens knew Whitney because they had all attended church together. Now it was getting late, so the O'Brien family said goodnight to the Bates family and headed home. All except for Ronald's wife, Deneen, who decided to break off to visit a friend before returning back to the house. Back at the O'Brien home, the kids were super excited to dive into their candy bags, but Ronald let them know that it was a little too late for sugar, so they could each choose only one piece of candy. I think it's important to note that Ronald claims that little 8-year-old Timothy chose the pixie sticks as one of his candy, but I guess we don't really know. Timothy had a difficult time opening the candy because it was stapled shut. Then he had a hard time getting the powdered sugar out of the tube and into his mouth, so Ronald rolled it around in his hands to try to loosen it up. This seemed to work, but once Timothy was actually able to taste the powdered sugar candy, he said it tasted bitter. Ronald gave him a glass of Kool-Aid to wash it down, and almost immediately, Timothy began complaining of a stomach ache. Ronald would say, 30 seconds after I left Tim's room, I heard him cry to me, Daddy, Daddy. The little boy ran to the bathroom, where he began to vomit and convulse on the floor. According to Ronald, he ran into the bathroom to hold Timothy while he was sick, but soon after, he went limp in his arms. Ronald called an ambulance, but Timothy died on the way to the hospital, less than an hour after eating the candy. When Timothy's autopsy results came back, it was revealed that the pixie sticks he had consumed that night was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide. It was enough to kill three to four adults, so it's no wonder Timothy died so quickly. Police were able to recover the other four pixie sticks that had been given out, and thankfully, none of the other children had eaten theirs. One of the parents freaked out when they couldn't locate the pixie sticks, assuming that maybe their son had eaten it. But they found him asleep in his bed, still holding the candy in his hand. It hadn't been opened because it was stapled shut, so the boy had a hard time opening the wrapper and just kind of gave up. When police looked closer at the candy, they discovered that all five of the pixie sticks had their original packaging opened. Some of the candy powdered had been dumped out and refilled with two inches of cyanide powder, then resealed with a staple. News of Timothy's death spread around the neighborhood quickly as parents worried that there may be contaminated candy floating around. Many chose to throw away all of their children's Halloween candy for fear that one of the houses had poisoned the treats that they handed out, which, to be honest, is exactly what I would have done. It's just not worth it. The police questioned Ronald about where he had taken the children trick-or-treating so that they could follow the same route and interview all of the homeowners. Now, after all of the interviews and connecting the dots, everything appeared to check out. No other children had gotten sick that night, so police didn't really have any leads to follow. Then Ronald came forward and told police that he remembered visiting a dark home where the owner opened the front door just a crack and handed him five giant pixie sticks for the kids. But he said he couldn't remember which home he got them from. So Ronald, along with the police, walked up and down the neighborhood, trying to retrace their steps from that evening to see if maybe he could remember which home gave him the tainted pixie sticks. 
finally, he led them to the home that had no lights on, the one where he had stayed behind while the kids ran off to continue trick-or-treating. He said that the owner opened the door just a crack to hand him the candy, and he had only seen the man's arm, which he described as hairy. The owner of the house turned out to be a man named Courtney Melvin, who wasn't even home that Halloween evening because he was working until 11 p.m. as an air traffic controller. The airport, along with around 200 people, confirmed that he was in fact there until 11 p.m. that night, and so police ruled Melvin out as a suspect. Now, the more police talked to people in the neighborhood, the more suspicious things appeared. No one had given out any pixie sticks for Halloween, and the O'Brien children and Bates children had only visited a few homes because it started raining. Jim Bates also talked to police about how weird Ronald began acting that night, even going as far as to say that Ronald leaped over the table to stop one of the Bates children from eating their pixie sticks when they returned back to the home. Then police got a phone call from an insurance agent just a few days after Timothy was buried. He reported some very suspicious activity on the account. Unbeknownst to his wife, Ronald had taken out a substantial life insurance policy on his two children. Earlier that year in January, he had taken out a $10,000 policy on each child. Then one month before Timothy's death, he had taken out an additional 20000 policy on each child. And yet, just days before Halloween and Timothy's death, Ronald took out another $20,000 policy on each child, totaling $60,000 for each child. When police looked deeper, they discovered that Ronald was in serious debt, about $100,000, which today is a little over $500,000. He had a hard time holding down a job for any substantial length of time, and he was about to be fired at his current job at Texas State Optical for being suspected of theft. Their family home had been foreclosed recently, and Ronald's car was about to be repossessed. It was clear that Ronald was way in over his head and needed money badly, which is a pretty strong case for a motive. On the morning after Timothy's death, he had actually called his insurance company to inquire about collecting the policy that he had taken out on his son, which seems a little premature, doesn't it? Police also learned that in the weeks before Halloween, Ronald had taken a particular interest in learning more about poisons. One of his clients at work was a chemist, and he began asking him questions about potassium cyanide and where he could get some. Then he visited a local chemical supply store to purchase some, but he left the shop empty-handed when he discovered that he couldn't buy it in small amounts. I mean, he only needed a little bit to put into the candy. Why waste money on extra cyanide he didn't need, right? It's unclear where or when Ronald was able to get the smaller amount of cyanide, but police believe that shortly before Halloween, he scored. And so, on November 5th, 1974, less than a week after Timothy's death, police went to the O'Brien home with an arrest warrant for Ronald for one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder for the other children. When he was interrogated, he denied everything and he pleaded not guilty. But the evidence was overwhelming. <laughs> My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so 
I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. In a search of the O'Brien family home, they found Ronald's pocket knife that had traces of plastic and pixie sticks powdered candy stuck to the blade, likely what he had used to open the packages and contaminate the candy. 
And besides the physical evidence, there was so much more damning testimony, including from the chemist and several others who claimed that he had taken an unusual interest in cyanide in the weeks leading up to Halloween. Timothy's mother also spoke out in court. Remember Ronald had claimed that Timothy was the one who chose the pixie sticks as one of his candy that he could have that evening. Well, she rejected this claim, saying that Ronald practically forced him to eat the pixie sticks. And why didn't Ronald just give Timothy the candy if he was the sole intended victim? Why did he give the pixie sticks to four other children? Well, police believe he did this to cover up his crime. There have always been urban legends about creepy, evil people in the neighborhood who poison candy to hurt unsuspecting trick-or-treating children. Ronald likely wanted to make it look like this is exactly what happened. And if Timothy was the only child to get the tainted candy, it would obviously look a little suspicious. As you can imagine, this case was all over the media, who dubbed Ronald O'Brien the Candyman Killer. On June 3, 1975, it took the jury just 45 minutes to find Ronald O'Brien guilty and only 70 minutes to sentence him to death. He tried to appeal his conviction several times, but all appeals were denied. His wife divorced him, fully believing he was guilty of murdering their son for money, and she later went on to remarry. On March 31, 1984, almost 10 years after murdering his 8-year-old son by cyanide poisoning, Ronald was put to death by lethal injection, which is a far less painful death than his son would have suffered. People gathered outside of the jailhouse on that day to taunt him as he died. Some were even shouting, trick or treat, and holding signs saying, kill the candy man. His final words were, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. So he was denying everything right until the bitter end, claiming that he was innocent. Many people in the community where this happened wouldn't allow their children to go trick-or-treating for several years, which I guess I kind of understand. Every year you hear about a few incidents and you see those social media posts floating around from parents who claim their child received tainted candy. That's obviously very scary for any parent to think about, but the vast majority turn out to be hoaxes. They usually end up being an isolated incident where someone has either tampered with their own candy as a way to get attention, which is all kinds of messed up, or someone has attempted to maybe play a prank on them. But it's also possible for some kind of manufacturing error to happen at the candy factories, you know, where something foreign could end up in candy. And to me, that's kind of the scariest part because that seems like the most logical. So it's not to say that it doesn't happen. I did find a few more stories beyond the Ronald O'Brien Candyman killer case. Many years before Ronald poisoned his own son, in 1959, a California dentist named William Shine put little heart-shaped sugar-coated white pills at the bottom of the treat bags he handed out. These turned out to be laxatives. 450 of these bags were distributed. About 30 of the children got sick from the candy, or more likely, had the runs for a few days. He was later charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs. In another story of tampering in 1964, a 47-year-old woman from Greenlawn, New York, thought it would be fun to hand out treats that had ant traps 
metal mesh scrubbing pads, and dog biscuits. Reportedly, she told police that she didn't mean it maliciously, but she was annoyed by the Halloween custom. As it turns out, she was crazy, and she would be committed to a state hospital for mental observation. In more recent years, in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 2000, a 49-year-old named James J. Smith put needles into chocolate bars. Thankfully, no one was seriously hurt in this incident, although one of the children was injured by the needle after he bit into the chocolate bar, which is, ugh, that is my worst nightmare. That is some, like, urban legend stuff. Overall, there haven't been any child deaths reported specifically because of tampered candy for trick-or-treating. And it's not usually strangers that try to harm children. In the case of Timothy O'Brien, it was his father who used a fun Halloween event that the child was excited for to cover up a murder for money. That's usually the way it is, isn't it? The people we think we know and trust are often the ones behind the horrific events. Either way, here is your official reminder. Make sure you check your child's candy for small holes in the packaging and only eat the treats that are commercially produced. I hate that we have to like say this, but 2021 has been a shit show of a year. Let's keep the little ones safe. That's it for me tonight. I'd like to once again thank our sponsor, Oki Investigations True Crime Podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Then you're going to want to visit truecrime.blog for a deeper dive into the craziest true crime stories. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young Serial Napper, all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, stay safe and be kind. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits. We are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's Corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!